<clears throat> How are you? Good. I'm going to stand in front of this a little bit. Uh, my name is Tori. For those of you who are new, welcome to the well. We're glad that you are here this morning. Uh, it is good to be here with you all. Uh, I am excited for the topic. So you ready? <clears throat> all right. Seven of y'all. Better than the three last week. We're getting better every week. All right. Trajectory up. All right. Here we go. Uh, let's dig in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we will be in uh, the book of Proverbs for a lot of the day today. Um, so you can feel free to turn there. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please, please take and keep that. Uh, that's our gift to you. If you don't have the word, we want you to have it. And so uh, please be able to take that and uh, bring that home. We want you to uh, have the word of God to be able to read throughout the week. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the YouVersion app underneath the events section, uh, type in the Well Austin and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there's notes, places where uh, the scriptures are, uh, all those things so you can kind of follow along. If you don't have the YouVersion app or don't really know what I'm talking about, you can actually just take this link, type that into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way, okay? Uh, we want you to be able to see the word of God and so that's why we want to make as many avenues as possible so that you're seeing that what we're saying is not just coming from me or from the elders, but that we're trying to submit to what God has for us in our life because we think that the scriptures are true and active and able to bring us into the presence of God more and more. Amen? Okay, so here we go. So we're going to be talking about a topic today that is uh, highly, highly, in my opinion, undervalued in our culture, uh, both in kind of a Western society as a whole, but also uh, in like churches in general, uh, in Christianity. So we're going to be talking about friendship and the importance of friendship. And so if you're writing notes, you can write down uh, the necessity of friendship is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, our culture has virtually no emphasis on friendship. Right? Like, if you begin to try to think about it, like, you see this example really easily in, like, tabloid magazines and uh, gossip sites like TMZ and stuff like that. Like, for example, when's the last time you've seen a magazine ad or an article about, like, who's sleeping with who or, like, another relationship or something like that? Pretty frequently, right? Like if you got on Facebook this morning, you probably saw something about who is loving who and who is breaking up with who and whatever it may be. So who has a new affair? Who has a new relationship? We're, we're infatuated with uh, 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 affairs, romance, with, with lovers, right? And so we do understand relationship. There is something that our culture values relationally. It just tends to be uh, uh, of love, of intimacy, of sex, things like that. When's the last time you saw an article about, like, who's friends with who, right? Is that an article that anybody has seen recently? You know, like, juicy, you know, Scarlett Johansson is friends with Jennifer Lawrence, right? Like, like you don't really see that, you know? Kanye and Jay-Z grabbed a beer together, whoa. Like, you don't read things like that, right? Like, like, that's not something that we think about as a culture. When's the last time that you saw a book entitled something like, Seven Steps to a Better Friendship? Right? Like you probably haven't a lot. Now, we see like seven steps to a better marriage or, 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 or 25 tips of how to perform better in bed or we see something about things like that like we read about all the time, right? How to have a, a good employee-employer relationship, uh, 21 necessity for, for leadership. Like we think about things a lot and we try to list out things, but it's rare that we see something about friendship, yet... We all kind of have this desire on our hearts. Matter of fact, most of us would say that we have at least one or two good friends and all of us have the desire for a friendship, right? Like even if we don't have one or two good friends, it's, it's something that we think about, it's something that we care about. Early on in life, this is important, you're, uh, you're essentially what your family kind of makes of you, 
right? And so kind of where you grew up, how you grew up, the things that you like, the things that you care about, a lot of that is based on your family, the family that God chose to put you in. It's the whole nature versus nurture thing. The nurture portion of you is predominantly shaped by your family. They're the main influencers in your life. Later in life, though, you kind of are what your friends make of you, right? Like who you hang around. There's actually a few kind of direct scripture references that kind of highlight this, that you are who you hang around. You will become who you are around. And so they influence you. Your your interest, your your dress, your, your social status, most of this kind of all comes from your friendships, the people that you put yourself around. And so friendship is extremely valuable, yet it's very, very under addressed. Like, we don't talk about it. We don't think about it a lot. Western society and the church, we all have friends, but we don't tend to kind of focus on what does that mean? Why is that important in our lives? And so I'm going to take it even a step further than that, all right? We all have friends. We need them. Uh, Our lack of understanding and chasing after good friends doesn't just leave us lacking. It's actually killing us in a lot of ways. Our lack of friendship and our lack of valuable friends, deep, intimate friends, is actually destroying us in a lot of ways. It's destroying who we are as people. It's not helping us flourish. If you don't have good friends, then your life will end up ruined in the long run. Scripture highlights that. We're going to get into that in a second. But it's extremely valuable. So valuable that I think a lot of us know that. But even comments like that can kind of be like, is that really true? Because we undervalue friendship. We don't think about it a lot. C.S. Lewis said this in his famous essay on friendship. He said, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third, and three by a fourth if only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. They can then say, as the blessed souls say in Dante, here comes one who will augment our loves. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. Right? And so in a marriage, to divide is to take away. Right? Like I'm married to Natalie, and if I get married to another person, I take away from her love. Right? I hope y'all agree with that or else we're going to redirect our sermon right now, okay? Like, like, you don't do that. Like, in a marriage, there's some covenant there. But in a friendship, actually, more is even better in a lot of ways. Lewis goes on to explain in the rest of that article that there was a group of four friends that he was around. They called themselves the Inklings because they were all writers, all right? And so they would meet together a lot. And uh, when one of their friends died, uh, they thought that the three would kind of be tighter because now it, what's happening is, is you actually get more time with one another. Like you get uh, more opportunity to spend like this fourth person is not kind of stealing away time from the other three. Contrarily though, it actually made their friendships less solid in a lot of ways. And what Lewis said is because what happens is, is that certain people draw out certain things about you. And so when Ronald, who we would know as J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, when Ronald died, he said, far than having more of my friends, I actually had less of my friends because there were jokes that only Ronald could tell that would actually make all of us laugh. Like I by myself was not uh, funny in that way. And so I didn't know that my soul delighted in that type of humor until Ronald brought it out of 
of me. Now that Ronald is gone, I no longer experience the joy of humor the way that he sees humor. And he goes on to explain all these other ways in which Ronald showed all these facets. And so friendship is important, right? Like, like these are things that, that uh, help us all together grow in our relationship with the Lord. The, the importance of friendship is huge. It, it shines light on all the facets of our life. We already read in Ecclesiastes 4 during our scripture time today that, that two is better than one. For in one you're cold, but in two you can keep each other warm. And then it goes on to say that a, a three-strand cord is not easily broken, right? Like, like, it's not easy. Like, the more people you get, the better, the tighter, the, the more real that these relationships will be. And so here's what I want to do today. Okay, thinking about friendship, I want to lay out that we don't have a good thought about it. In fact, I want to lay out and just kind of draw into, because I, I kind of love it, that a lot of you are probably like, friendship, oh, okay, whatever. But I want you to see the value of it, I hope, by the end of the sermon today. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at three of the main qualities in Scripture uh, that are important in true, genuine friendships. So we're going to kind of highlight three things, and then how we can add these into our lives that we may become better friends, and also look for those and other things. And I want to look at a biblical example of all of these things, okay? So I'm going to tell you the qualities up front, and then we're going to kind of track through them in Scripture. So Scripture says in the book of Proverbs that the three main qualities of a friendship is steadfastness, all right, sympathetic or sensitive, and then straightforward, okay? Now, I'm going to be honest. I started with two S's, and I had to try to find a way to make that one an S word, all right? That word is a lot better, like, truthful. That's kind of what I'm saying there. People tell you the truth, but I couldn't think of another S word. And so I spent, like, five minutes on thesaurus.com trying to figure out what is an S word for truthful because every good pastor alliterates, right? And I'm trying to be a good pastor and have some alliteration skill, all right? And so firstly, a, a true friend is steadfast, or they're consistent. They're there for you. So jump to Proverbs chapter 17. And we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So a family member or a brother is born for adversity. If I'm going through something, some struggle or some trial, I can call on my family, or I can call on my brothers, because of course they'd be there to help me. They're family, right? Like, they're not just kind of going to leave me, forsake me, be like, oh, whatever, man. Like, family helps, even when it becomes to get annoying. Like, all of us probably have one family member that asks for help a little bit too much, right? Like we still feel inclined to help them because a brother is born for adversity. They're there for you. But friends are always there, scripture says. So friends are not just there during adverse or, or, or troubled times, but they're also there for the highs. And they're also there just during the mundane day-to-day -day thing in life. When you're just kind of going throughout life, there's nothing really high, there's nothing really low, there's no adversity, there's no mountain. You're just kind of doing life. Like friends are always there. You have to think about this too, because we're saying this, the Bible's saying this in a culture that was very, very, very familial in their experience. People did not leave their family. Like it wasn't like, you know, uh, 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 the brother moved to Seattle and the other brother moved to uh, Orlando. Like they stayed all in the same context, right? Like you see brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers interacting left and right. In fact, when somebody leaves their family, like Ruth does in the book of Ruth, it's kind of like astounding. Like, whoa, they left all their family. So for the scripture to say, hey, a friend is there at all times. A friend is kind of different than a brother. A, a, a friend is consistent, even more so than a brother is. That's making a very, very huge claim. Okay, now, sometimes I will say that your family can become your friends in a lot of ways, but even that relationship tends to look a lot different. 
Like it kind of goes from a mother-father to like a friendship relationship. Maybe some of you experienced. Or from like brothers to friends. So sometimes that family does involve that. But a friendship looks very, very different from a familiar relationship. They're steadfast. They're always there for you. Jump over to the next chapter, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 24. It says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Committed, even closer than a brother, now this text is saying. Friends are always present. They stick with you through the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs. Notice the contrast in this text here, okay? It says, someone may have many companions, right? But a man with friends, like there's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. There's not a lot of friends, and that's kind of screaming out at our culture today, right? Like, I'm sure I don't have to say this, but for the two of you who maybe still think this, Facebook friends are not friends, right? Like, I think we know that by now, okay? But you can have 2,853 friends on Facebook, okay? Those are not real friends. That is impossible to do in real life. You don't know what's going on in their lives, right? And so those aren't friends. Those are companions in a lot of, a lot of ways. Uh, your barista at your favorite coffee shop that knows you by name is not your friend, they just know your name because they're good at getting you to come back and getting you to buy more $5 coffees, right? Unless your friend is Cameron, who happens to be a barista, then maybe you do have a friend, okay? But uh, a companions, what happens is, is that they leave during times of trouble. That's what, that's what usually happens, is that when trouble comes, the companions are no longer there for you. But a friend sticks with you through highs and lows, through troubles. He sticks closer than a brother. They're consistent. They're steadfast. They're always there. Like, don't you want friends like that that are always there for you? I mean, maybe you don't go through as many highs and lows as I do, but, like, I would enjoy that, right, for my highs and my lows. Like, we need that. Don't you want to be a friend like that to other people? Does it take some work? Does it take some energy? Yes, for sure. But isn't there a beauty behind this? Isn't there something that our heart says, yeah, that's, that's very true. Like, that's what I want, right? That's what we felt like we had in elementary school, though most of us don't know our elementary friends anymore. But it felt like there was steadfastness. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to stick together, right? That's what we had in high school. That's what we had in college. In fact, a lot of times post-college is really hard for people because they lose a lot of those friendships, and it's hard to forge friendships in the real world that's so shifting and changing and demanding of time that there's a hurt there. There's a burden there. Like, we long for steadfastness for somebody that's there with us. I looked up uh, online uh, uh, the uh, uh, movies about friendship because I was trying to think, what even is screaming this in our culture where we know this? And to be honest, there weren't a lot of movies. In fact, almost every movie that was about friendship really had as the overlying theme this romance relationship where the friendship was kind of speaking into the romance, but the romance was the idea of the movie. There's very few movies that are just strictly about friendship, right? Toy Story is one of them. Preach, all-time great, okay? Uh, Wizard of Oz is another one, all right, about friendship. Uh, Dumb and Dumber, right? That's about friendship, okay? And what do all of those have, right? They're steadfast. They're there with each other, and sometimes it kind of goes south, and they come right back to each other, like Woody and Buzz Lightyear, right? Or they come right back to each other after driving away for a little bit, and they come running back. Like, that's what happens, right? Friends are with each other no matter what. There's a steadfastness there. Our hearts long and were made for steadfastness. Our hearts long for that. That's something that we crave, that we want. And so consistency, a constant friend, steadfastness is number one, okay? Number two, 
Friends are sympathetic or they're sensitive. Uh, friends are gracious or graceful. They, they know how to mourn when you are mourning. They know how to be your support system. They know you enough to love you enough to help you through hard times. This idea of, of uh, a sympathetic can also carry with it the idea of gracious. They are gracious. They, they give things to you voluntarily. They want to build you up, okay? Proverbs 25, verse 20 says this. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. What does that mean? This is telling us that you should know how to mourn with those who are mourning. If you sing songs of joy when somebody else is down, you're not being a good friend, is what Proverbs is saying. One who sings songs when it should be a mourning season is, is not helpful. They're not beneficial. They're, they're destructive, actually, in a lot of ways, right? So, like, when you lost your job, and then your dog dies, and then you get smacked by a random stranger on the way home, like, you don't want to go to a friend and him be like, it's all right, man, and then go play, like, Little John Crunk Juice, right? Like you want them to play Adele and to cry with you, right? There were like four people who were like, I know who Little John is. Everybody else has no idea. That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll culturally reference better next time, all right? It's vinegar on soda is what the scripture is saying, okay? So for you non-chemistry people like me, I had to look this up. Like what is vinegar on soda? Uh, what happens is that it's a useless thing. When you mix vinegar and soda, it actually destroys both of the elements. So it's useless and it causes violent reactions, all right? Somebody who tries to rejoice while you are mourning is useless and they cause violent reactions, so the scripture is saying. But a true friend, they, they understand you. They, they cry with you. They rejoice when you are rejoicing. They're excited with you. And they, they mourn when you are mourning. They don't take your coat away in the winter like the proverb says. Or for contextual context, they don't put a coat on you in the middle of July. Right? That's useless and destructive in Texas. Okay? And so friends are there. They're sympathetic. They understand you. All right? Proverbs 26. Go to the next chapter. Verses 18 through 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. He doesn't know that person well enough to know what hurts the person. It's like a man who's just kind of randomly shooting arrows around. That's deadly. This man actually isn't sympathetic or truthful in a lot of ways. He doesn't walk alongside of you. In fact, this man only does things for his benefit. Like he tries to just exalt himself. He tries to make much of himself. He's not gracious. He's not sympathetic. He doesn't give to your needs when you are hurting. He doesn't even know you well enough. And then when he hurts you, he says, I was just kidding, man. Get over it. And that's hurtful, right? He's not sympathetic. A friend is sympathetic. He's gracious. True friends don't do that. They know you well enough to know what does and doesn't hurt you. This is, by the way, why a friend is more than just a companion like we read about earlier. We're not saying just have companions. Companions don't know you well enough to know when to mourn with you or check how to mourn with you. Because if I'm mourning and somebody comes and they start crying with me, that's not what I like. But maybe for somebody else in the room, <coughs> Huli, uh, that is what they want, right? Like that is something that's a desire, okay? Is that we want to cry when they're crying. And look, I, I want you to come speak truth into my life and kind of smack me and be like, get out of it, bro. Because that's really helpful to me in a lot of ways. But only a friend can know that about you. A companion cannot know that, okay? And so we're not saying just have a bunch of drinking buddies. That's not what I'm saying. Now, they have their value. They have their purpose. There's actually joy that comes in in that. But when stuff hits the fan, they'll scatter and you'll have no one. 
and you'll be 45 and lonely and trying to figure out what to do with your life with nobody around as your support. A friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend is gracious towards you, sympathetic towards you. You need those types of friends in your life. My best man uh, at my wedding, Nick Cole, um, he is uh, uh, one of my best friends. And all throughout college, we kind of had that relationship where we were able to be there for each other in high and low times. When Nick first got saved, Nick had a really, really, really hard introduction to Christianity, okay? A lot of times when people kind of first come to the Lord, it's like cloud nine, you know what I mean? Like everything's exciting. They've like never word, read the word before. They're like, look at this. Do you know this is in the Bible? And you're like, yeah, it's actually in their 15 times. But like, they're like excited and like worship is awesome and everything's awesome, right? And then at some point they kind of realize, oh, I'm still in the midst of this broken and sinful world. I still struggle with sin. And there's some plateauing there. And you could tell that like there you have the joy of the Lord, but life gets reality kind of, right? Like the Christian life isn't easy. In fact, in some ways, sometimes it's harder for the Christian. Nick's experience was not cloud nine experience, okay? Nick got saved and then plummeted into depression like two days later, all right? And I was kind of there with him, and I was a good friend of his. I started discipling him, actually, and that kind of turned into a friendship. And man, we would walk through this stuff. And so I would take all these verses of Scripture and be like, the joy of the Lord is your strength, brother. Come on, man, right? And we would, like, listen to, like, Hillsong songs and try to, like, you know, get hyped together. And I would try to take him on, like, retreats and do all these things to try to help him kind of get out of this funk. And, man, he was, like, getting, like, stomped on, right? Like, over and over and over again, every time something would happen, it feels like something would just smash into him super hard. And so finally one day I was like, man, maybe... Maybe the Lord is just trying to like root you really, really deeply. <laughs> like, you know, like when a tree, if it finds water really shallow, then it actually the roots don't go deep. But a strong tree, it'll dig and dig and dig, the roots will, until it finally finds its source of water. And so maybe the Lord's just going to throw a bunch of trials at you later in life. And, 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 and he's rooting you right now early on in the faith. I, I don't know, man. But we would be like, he'd be crying. Like every, every week we met, he'd be like crying and something was wrong. And to be honest with you, I was kind of getting sick of it, <laughs> all right? So I'm talking about good friends. I'm about tempted to be not a good friend anymore, okay? And so there was one night where I'm sitting at my computer and I'm praying. I tend to type out my prayers. It helps me focus. So I'm typing out my prayer and I had some headphones on and I'm literally praying, God, I have no idea how I can be this man's friend anymore. Like he only takes, there's like no give. Like we won't even be talking about spiritual things. Like we'll go to play basketball and just kind of like, Right? Like he's like down, like that's just his like countenance. And I don't know if I could do this anymore, you know? So I'm, I'm typing this out and then I get done praying and take my headphones off and I stand up and there's like a note underneath the door. And so I look and I think it's just like one of my uh, girl admirers telling me how awesome she thinks I am. So I open it up and, you know, I look at it and it's from Nick, you know? And he says, hey man, I just want you to know that the reason I believe that God is real is because I've never had a friend that stuck with me the way you have. And I know it's been hard on you, and I know that it's been trying. Please stick with me. Please, I feel that I'm going to come out of this at some point. I need your help. And he just kept going on and on and on about that. While I'm praying, God, I can't do this anymore. Take this dude away from me, <laughs> right? Like he responds in a lot of ways. I think the Lord kind of answered that prayer through Nick. Nick is now a pastor or, or going to go take a pastorate in a church of Ohio and is super, super solid, loves Jesus. And God really did bring him through a lot of that. But he said, man, look, this friendship is so valuable. When I was tempted not to be a friend, 
These are the things that I came back to, steadfastness, sympathy, being able to be there when somebody else was hurting. And so it's important to have a friend like that. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have somebody that's going to be there for you at all times, right? Because I suffered with him in a lot of ways, and because I was able to grow with him, then when he rejoiced, I was able to rejoice that much more. It wasn't just somebody who I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But when he finally got out of it, I was like, let's go, right? This is awesome. Like, we've been waiting for this forever, you know? And do you have friends like that where you're able to do that throughout life? Uh, you need more uh, than people who will just be there that will make you laugh, all right? You need people who will be there for you when you can't laugh, when it's hard, when it's down. Even more, you need people who will not just try to make you laugh, and who will be there for you when you can't laugh, but you also need people who are going to tell you the truth, okay? And that's the third kind of quality of friendship, is somebody who's straightforward with you, who's a truth speaker. Go to Proverbs chapter 27, verses five through six. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is such a great truth, right? Friends tell you the truth. They're, they're straightforward. They tell you like it is. Like, you know when you have a, a, a broccoli or spinach in your teeth and somebody just tells it to you? That's straightforward. You never really like being told. It's kind of like, oh, that's embarrassing, right? But you'd rather have them tell you than you walk around like a buffoon all day smiling at people, right? Like a good friend. You joke and you say, oh, that's a good friend, you know? There's actually one uh, time where uh, about halfway through the service, somebody who was sitting like right up here in the front area, a good friend of mine. He went in the back, and, you know, I kind of saw him in the corner of my eye, and then he was in the back, and every time I would like scan over and look at him, he was like going like this, you know? And so I like would look over, like, is somebody gonna shoot me or something? Like, what's going on? I'm like trying to maintain my thought, and I would keep preaching, and then look back, and every time he would like be waving me down, you know? And so I was like looking, and then he kept kind of like grabbing at himself. And I was like, is he like trying to make me laugh? Like, what is going on, you know? That's not a good friend. I'm preaching a sermon, you know? I'm like trying to figure out. And anyway, we get done preaching. We start worshiping. And he comes up and puts his arm around me. And he says, great sermon, man. I was like, what were you doing, bro? And he was like, "Uh, your zipper was down, man. Like, no, I preached a whole sermon with my zipper down, right? But he was trying to be a good friend. Like, hey, look, bro, like, you need to fix yourself somehow, all right? Now, silly examples aside, right? Find a friend who's going to speak truth to you at any times, right? Find a friend who's going to speak truth. Rebuke in verse 5 is actually the showing of love, which is contrasted with hidden love or absent love. You want somebody who's going to call you out. That's what you want. Okay, verse six states it even more clear. The word translated enemy literally translates one who hates. And the word translated friend there translates one who loves. We put enemy and friend because it's easier, but that's what the literal Hebrew means. One who hates and one who loves. So one who kisses you hates you. And one who wounds you loves you. That's what the text is telling us there. That's strong, isn't it? But there's truth to that. They'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you hard things. Listen, they'll tell you good things. They're not just going to dog you for no reason because a friend is sympathetic. They know you well, right? They're not just going to drag you under the bus and just say things for their own benefit. They're not like the madman just kind of slinging arrows at you. But they know you well enough. They're steadfast. They're with you. They're sympathetic, but they're truthful. They'll tell you things that you need to hear. It'll make you better. It'll make you more well-rounded. Jump down a couple verses to verse 17. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. People often quote this verse, but like, how does iron sharpen iron? 
Like, does like one piece of iron like caress gently the other piece of iron? No, right? When an iron sharpens iron, it's hitting against itself. And sparks are flying all over the place. And it's kind of a violent thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Why? Because one piece of iron is shaping and molding this other piece of iron to be the tool that it was intended to be. A friend shapes and molds you, even during sparks, to design into you the tool that you were intended to be. They know you well enough. They're there for you. Do you have somebody like this? Let me ask you like this. Have you been hurt or wounded by someone who you'd consider close recently? Because if you haven't, you may not have a friend. And unless you're like perfect, you have blind spots that you cannot see, that only other people in you can see. Do you have someone who's able to speak the truth to you? A good friend of mine, he's my mentor, but also a friend just this week on Tuesday, I was meeting with him and I was telling him things that were going on. And after me talking for like 15 minutes, he said, are are you looking for feedback? Which is translation, like put your hands behind your back and I'm gonna punch you in the face seven times, right? Like that's what he was saying to me. And then he spoke some hard truth, but it was good. It was healthy, it was helpful. It helped me to clear my mind to realize where I was being blind at and where I was kind of being tempted to stray into sin. And we need that in each other's lives. Do you have someone who can see the blind spots who's going to call you out on those? We need someone who tells us the truth to shape us, to wound us because they love us. They do it sympathetically. They do it graciously, but they do it because they love us. A friend makes you better. Now, there are several other Proverbs, okay, that kind of hit on all of these things and all of these truths, but a friend is steadfast, he's sympathetic or gracious, and he's straightforward or truthful. Tim Keller wraps up the Proverbs address of friendship like this. He says, A friend is someone who is always there for you and never lets you down. That's what a friend is. Someone who's always there for you and he never lets you down. They cry when you cry. Okay, they won't disappear when it's hard. But they also won't let you go downhill. As you begin to fall in sin, they'll speak the truth to you. They will not let you down. Right? They're there with you. Another way of saying this is that to be a good friend, you are always present with a person. And sometimes you cry and sometimes you cut all in love. You're present with a person. Sometimes you cry, sometimes you cut, all in love. We need this. This is important in our flourishing as people, okay? Now, I find it very intriguing that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and Solomon is the one that's writing all these Proverbs, and he's writing in the midst and the context, probably having heard stories of one of the greatest friendships that's ever existed. See, Solomon was King David's son, And King David had this friend named Jonathan that for sure Solomon would have had to have heard stories of. So a little bit of background if you're not familiar with that. There was a king in Israel named Saul. He was Israel's first king. And Saul started off kind of okay. The people chose him, said he was really tall and really handsome and better than all the rest, a head taller than all the rest. They're like, this guy's tall. He looks good. He must be a good king. All right. Pretty bad way to choose politics, by the way, all right? But that's what they did. Well, Paul began to, or sorry, Saul began to slowly kind of fall downhill, all right? Start kind of straying away from the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to David. And so David was this lowly man, short, the youngest of all his brothers. When the, uh, 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 the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king, the uh, father brought all of David's brothers and kind of left David out in the field. because He's like, well, there's no way it's going to be David, Right? Like, imagine how you feel. How's your, how's your psyche doing then? <laughs> you know, you come in, you're like, what are all my brothers doing here? Oh, they're trying to find the next king. We left you out because we knew it wouldn't be you. <laughs> right? This is David's background. All right? Well, David comes in and gets anointed as king, and then he comes into Saul's presence. Well, Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's firstborn son. Jonathan, listen to me, had everything lined up to be king. 
everything lined up to be the next king. Throughout the story, it says that Jonathan was beloved by the people. So if you want to get a little bit more democratic, people loved him, right? Like they wanted him. They would sing songs about him and say, this man is awesome and we want to follow him even over his own father at times. So he was loved by the people. He won many battles. So if you got to think in that culture, winning battles was important, right, to, to conquest the areas. So, uh, Jonathan won battles with his own hand by himself sometimes and an armor bearer. And even more, he was Saul's son, Like, everything was lined up to be king, but God wanted to give the kingdom to David and his line. And so what does Jonathan do? Let's read through the story real quick. We're going to jump around. Go to 1 Samuel, if you're following with me in your Bible. And I'm going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, I want you to remember why we're doing this, okay? Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, is David's son. And I want you to see the friendship that Solomon likely heard stories about and how we know, how we could be certain that he actually heard stories about this friendship. 1 Samuel 18, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. What's happening here is that there's a, a covenant being established that says, I see you as a friend. I'm going to give myself to you. Here are my clothes. Here is my armor. Here's everything that I have. What is rightfully mine is now yours. I'm going to take the clothes off of me and put the clothes onto you. So Jonathan was saying, okay? Now keep going. Verse 20. Or I'm sorry, chapter 20. Verse 1. So some time passes. Saul starts hating David. All right? Chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled uh, from Nioth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. And so we see there was this, this deep friendship going on here, right? Like there was an importance, there was a value in that. Jump down to verse uh, 14. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. This is Jonathan speaking. David, you're going to become king, he said. And if I am still alive, then show me, look at that word, steadfast. There's one of the words, right? The steadfast love of the Lord. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. David, I see that God has anointed you as king. And I'm going to secede to that and let you be king. Would you make a covenant with me to not destroy my family? Now, here's why this is important. It's switching familial lines, okay? If you guys have ever seen Game of Thrones or some sort of like uh, a war type movie set back in the day, you know that if a new king is established, there better not be any lineage in that kingship. Because if there's a son somewhere, then that person actually has rightly ruled to the kingdom. And so what would happen is, is that somebody would be a king and then this guy would just, uh, band all these people together and say, go kill all his family. So they'd kill all 17 of his sons. And therefore there's nobody else to take the line after the father passes away so it's able to switch. Y'all tracking with that? So Jonathan says, David, I know this is dangerous to you, but when you become king, would you show me the steadfast love and keep some of my family alive? This is dangerous, okay? This is David's own life, his family's line, and David makes a covenant with him and says that he will. Jump down to verse 30. 
Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. That's strong language, right? Like we don't even know that context, but if I came up to you and said, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, we wouldn't have a good friendship, right? That's me not speaking the truth graciously or sympathetically, right? Like Saul's angry here. Why? Because he sees Jonathan is covenanting. He's being a good friend to David, even at Jonathan's own expense. If David is alive, the kingdom's not yours, Jonathan. What are you doing, right? One more. So what happens is, go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. In the midst of all this, Jonathan dies, Okay? And he dies and he loves David and they make a covenant together and they, they love one another. And, and it says that David's soul was uh, knit to him because Jonathan loved him even greater than the love of a woman. Even than David's lovers, Jonathan loved him even that much more. He was steadfast. He was sympathetic. He was straightforward. He did everything for David. He, he gave up his life for David. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7, David is now the king. And David said to him, do not fear. This is Jonathan's son, okay, by the way. And Jonathan, what happened was is that all the sons of Jonathan died. They killed all of them like they were supposed to. But one of the sons, when they were running away trying to hide from the slaughter, uh, the, 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 the midwife who was carrying that son fell and she dropped this kid, okay? And the kid became invalid. He became lame. He couldn't use his feet anymore. And so they didn't kill him because they thought, who is this guy? What is he going to do? Okay, and so David says, is there any of Jonathan's sons left? Is anybody left where I can honor my friend Jonathan? And that's where we pick up. David said to him, this is Jonathan's son, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? What, what are you doing? This is, not, this is not normal. This is, David, why would you do this, right? Then jump to verse 11. Verse 11 says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Listen, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Sam Solomon probably heard stories from David, his own father, about the friendship of Jonathan. But he also ate with one of Jonathan's sons. See, only kings and princes ate at the king's table. And David brought Methibosheth in. Why? Because Jonathan was so steadfast. He was so straightforward. He was so sympathetic. He was such a good friend to King David that he had to honor one of his sons. And so during those feasts, you've got to imagine that Solomon and, and Methibosheth start talking and they're like, I don't really understand what's going on. Solomon may have even had some fear because Solomon knew he was next in line, but this son of Saul is still around. What is he doing here? And they have these conversations and they start talking about friendship, right? See, David had to be struck by the love that Jonathan showed him. In fact, once again, they said that uh, Jonathan's love surpassed that even of a woman. This is true biblical friendship. Jonathan was steadfast. He was always 
always there for David. Several times, in fact, David was hurting and he was alone out in the wilderness. And Jonathan would come out to David and restore him and bring him food and lift up his spirits. He was there for him even when he was in the wilderness. He spoke the truth when David was down and, and downcast. I'm not going to be the king. Jonathan said, you will be the king for the Lord has anointed you. And he lifts this man's soul up. He's sympathetic. He, he cries with him. He weeps with him. When they leave, it says that they're both weeping uncontrollably. The word is to fall on the person's shoulders like they are there for each other. And think about this. Jonathan literally gave up the kingdom for David. Jonathan could have tried to sneak around. Jonathan could have tried to become king. But Solomon had to have heard by this, was deeply moved and tell us, here's what a friend looks like. Here's what true friendship is. Solomon can tell us what friendship looks like because he's seen and heard it from David, heard it from uh, uh, Jonathan's own son who gave up his kingdom for David's establishment, who though David was a nobody, gave him the ability to become heir on the throne. And friends, do you know who this reminds us of? Go to John chapter 15. We're almost done here. Stay with me. John chapter 15, starting in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is the greater Jonathan. Jesus is the greater friend. He's the friend with an even greater love than Jonathan's love for David. This is the friendship that we see most beautifully, intricately woven in scripture. And Jesus has an even greater love than that. Because listen, Jonathan gave up his place of authority and his earthly kingdom for David's sake. God's chosen, right? But Jesus gave up his rightly place of authority and his heavenly kingdom for our sake. God's chosen, If you know God, it's because Jesus gave up his life for you and he gave up his kingdom for you and he was steadfast and sympathetic and straightforward and did what it took that you may become a people of God, that you may be established as heirs to the throne, Romans 8 tells us. Even more, Jesus stepped in our place and died that we may become friends of God. Jesus' friendship and love is so profound that he actually steps into the wrath of God for us that we may be saved. He takes on the punishment of God. See, Jonathan in a lot of ways was trying to shield David from from Saul's harm against David. He was trying to protect David. I'll tell you the truth. I I won't let my father hurt you. And Jesus says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you the truth and I won't let my father hurt you. I'll take it for you. And he steps in the way. He says, I will take on your guilt. I will take on your deserved punishment. I will take on the wrath of God. I will take on whatever it takes because I am your friend. Jesus is the greater friend. See, naturally, our hearts were made for friendship. Like, how awesome is this that Jesus calls us that? He's not just our Lord. He's not just our our Savior. He's not just the King that we're supposed to bow down to forever. But he says, I am also your friend. I am there for you. So why do our hearts naturally desire friendship? Why do our hearts long and crave for this? Because our hearts were made for the ultimate friendship, Jesus. 
Our hearts were hardwired to desire something greater than ourselves, something greater than the friendships that we have on earth. In fact, all the friendships that we have on earth are only a foreshadow and a taste, and they should do nothing but remind us of the greater friendship that we can have in Jesus. Just like marriage last week that we talked about was a picture and a reflection of of God and his love for us, so is our friendship. It's a picture and a reflection of the great friendship that Christ longs to have with every single one of us. Amen? Like, this is a powerful thing. And see, Jesus is steadfast, is he not? He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's steadfastness. I'm never going to leave you. See, a friend isn't there with you at 3 a.m. when you're crying, but Jesus is. An even greater friend. He sends the Holy Spirit that he may dwell in us forever. Jesus is there with us. And he's sympathetic, full of grace. In fact, John 1, verses 14 through 17 says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was sympathetic and straightforward. See, because the the law of Moses brought about the the law, condemnation, but Jesus was full of grace and truth, gave us grace upon grace. Proverbs 27 says, blessed are the wounds of a friend, we read. You need somebody that wounds you, right? How much more sweet that friendship when instead of wounding you, he takes on the wounds for you. This is Jesus, friends the lover of our souls, whose love extends past that of a woman's love or of a man's love, of a partner's love, whose whose love is far greater, who sticks closer than even a brother. This is Jesus, the greatest friend. This is what our hearts were made for. This is what it longs for. And so my question is, A, do you have Jesus as your friend? Even if you're a Christian in here, say, even if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, do you only see him as Lord or do you recognize that he's your friend? Like, we could talk about the wrath of God, and we could talk about all these things, but listen, God told Jesus, you have two choices. You can choose to escape all this punishment, or you can choose your friends, and by doing so, you choose hell. And Jesus says, I choose hell for our sake. Jesus loves us, friends. Do you recognize him as that? If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is what your heart was made for, was friendship like this that Jesus is steadfast and sympathetic and straightforward. He's not going to let you run off into sin. He's not going to let you do whatever you want to do. He's going to try to direct you to what he knows is best for your life, but he's doing it graciously and lovingly and wanting to build you up. See, what other friend when you go wayward is still there for you? Like, like right now, if one of my friends said, bye, man, I'm, I'm never going to talk to you again, and he leaves, I'd probably forget about him in a couple years. Not Jesus. You may have been running away for the past 20 years, and Jesus is still there waiting for you. He's a steadfast friend. Jesus is the friend that all of our hearts and souls crave and need. So A, do you have Jesus as your friend? Secondly, how can we begin to be friends like that? If you know Jesus, if you are a Christian, what does it look like for you to be steadfast? What does it look like for you to be sympathetic? What does it look like for you to be straightforward? Even more so, do you have friends like this that remind you and point you to Jesus? If you do not, or if you want more, I have two really easy applications for you. Ready for the easy plugs? Go to Men's and Women's Weekend. All right? I don't care if it's not your thing. I don't care if you don't really like camping. I don't, make friendship a higher priority than it not being your thing. Right? Like, we need each other. We need friends. If you don't have that man, find that there. Go to Women's Weekend. Find some friendships. Listen, it is hard. I will admit that. There are times, it's not like you're like, hey, can you please be my friend? It's like, yeah. And then a great friendship is bonded, right? Like, sometimes it takes some work. It takes some sacrifice. But friendship is worth it. It's important. And then secondly, get involved in a community group. 
If you're not involved in a community group, get involved in one. Because it's hard to just find friendship at church on Sunday and that's it. That's all you see. You need somebody in your life who's steadfast, who's there for you. Find ways to implement friendship, friends, because it's important. That's why Jesus is a friend of ours, and that's why he gave us friends, because it's what our hearts were made for and longs for. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the friendship that we have in you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that you not only wound at times for our benefit, but you take on our wounds for us, God, because you love us, you, you long for us to know you. God, would you please help our hearts desire you as friend? God, I know that there are people in here who may have been running away from you for a while, or maybe they don't really know you as friend. And God, would you remind them of the beauty of what it is to be in a relationship with you, the lover of our souls. Help us to taste that grace, to experience that sympathy, to be there with you. God, help us who forget.